Um, there's a devotional book out there called Springs in the Valley, and it tells the story of a man who found a barn, and when he was in the barn, he realized this is the barn that Satan stores up all his evil seeds to sow into the hearts and souls of men and women and children. Uh, And then as he was investigating this barn and he was seeing the different storehouses there, he saw that there was one storehouse that was like three, four, five times the size of the other seeds. Evil seeds. And he was looking and he found, what are these seeds? And he saw that the title of the bar across this barn was the seeds of discouragement. He further learned that the seeds of discouragement were super seeds because they could be made to grow in almost any soil in the human soul. So the man was on a mission. He says, I've got to figure out what's going on. And so he went to Satan and he said, he was relentless. He said, listen, why are the seeds of discouragement super seeds? And how come they can... They can be planted and grown and produce ugly fruit in almost every soil in the human soul. He pushed, this man did, and he pushed. He wanted to see how far the seeds of discouragement could go into the human heart. How far? Is there a limit? Is there a soil out there in the human soul that these seeds don't grow? Worn down, Satan finally reluctantly admitted there is one place. There is one soil where the seeds of discouragement can't grow. And the man said, where? What is it? And Satan sadly replied, in the heart of a grateful person. What difference does justification make in your life and my life? It makes you a grateful person. Justification makes you a joy-filled, full person. And what we're going to see in this passage, you want to know how do you, how do you become an enduring person? How, do you, how does that happen? And Paul's answer is when you get justification. The more and more you get justification, the more you become an enduring person. The more you become a, a hope-filled person the more you become a maturing person. You want to grow in your character. You want, to, you want to grow as a human being. You want to flourish as a person. Paul says the only way you do it is by justification making a difference in your life. And in fact, justification is so powerful and makes such a difference in your life that it actually, it actually makes you an unshamed person, a person that can't be shamed. That as you get justification, shame cannot plant its seeds of reality into your soul. And then how about this? We're going to see in this passage. How many of you want to deeply feel loved by God? Maybe you are lonely. Maybe nobody loves you. But there is a cosmic love that reaches to the core of your being and explodes you with life. And Paul says, you get that when you get justification. So it's no small feat, this passage, that we're actually going to look at. Justification shapes the soil of your soul. Justification impacts how you feel and act right now and later today. And tomorrow when you get up on Monday, 
and on Friday and on in the next month and the next year and the years ahead. Justification makes a difference in your life. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Let's read it. How about that? You ready? Uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Oh God, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. We ask that you would shine on the page. We ask that you would help us to forget ourselves and find him. And we ask, Lord, that you would radically, radically, unexpectedly visit us. And help us get this passage and change us in surprising, shocking, unexpected ways. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, I want you to find the therefore in verse 1. See that first word? This is a loaded word. This, This word is carrying an impossible load. I want you to look really, really carefully at it. I want you to see if you can see that word bending under the weight of the load it's carrying. Therefore, in verse 1, is carrying all of Romans 1 through 4 with it. All of Romans 1 through 4, the whole message of Romans 1 through 4 has been put on the back of that therefore. The whole book so far in Romans is loaded and packed into therefore. Don't you just love grammar? I love grammar. That's incredible. Grammar does that for us. All of Romans, everything you want to know about Romans up to this point is in that word therefore. Here it is. Here's the message. Therefore, since you have been justified... Paul wants to make real clear, we're four chapters in, and he's like, make no doubt about it, make no mistake about it. You want to know what Romans is all about, this big Mount Everest book in the Bible. It has one simple message, justification. The wonder of justification. What is justification? We all got an idea of it. We've been looking at it for a little bit here, but what is it? I want to look at it in a different angle this morning a little bit before we jump into the legal definition. It is the driving, defining, inescapable need in your soul right now. It is the defining, driving, inescapable need in your soul right now and later today and when you go to bed tonight. And when you wake up in the middle of the night, and when you get up in the morning, and as you do all of life, it's always there, driving, pounding, needing, longing, wanting, searching, striving, proving, seeking. Thomas Chalmers, a Scottish minister in the 1800s, has a famous sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. He, He does this incredible thing. He talks about like how young men... Uh, generally in their late teens have um, 
the idol of pleasure. Do, do you notice that in young men? I don't, I don't notice that in young men, the idol of pleasure. And he says, it's fascinating, though, that when they're in this young age of the idol of pleasure, that they give it up somewhere in their 20s, maybe. This is hypothetical, and this was Scotland in the, six, in the 1800s. Nobody was happy in Scotland, and ever. They were not happy people. So he knows. So they move off this, this idol of pleasure, but he says, what happens to it? He says, how did this idol of pleasure die in their life? And you know what his answer was? Oh, they just got a new one, the idol of money. And then he talks about how, how citizens grow up, and we grow up in our countries. And man, this is the 1800s. And we all want to be good citizens, and we all want to be good fathers, and we all want to be good families and moms, and we all want to have good countries. And, and so we have this idol of wealth, and we have this idol of money because it gives, it gives security and it gives lots of things, right? So he says, you got that. But then all of a sudden, how does that go away? And this is what he says. Love of money can't end in someone's life. But only because another affection has been brought into his moral system and he is now lorded over by the love of power. This is when he makes his famous words in his famous sermon. There is not one of these transformations, pleasure to money or money to power, in which the heart is left without an object The heart's desire for one particular object may be conquered, but as to its desire for having some object or other, this is unconquerable. Justification in your soul is unconquerable. You have it. You need it. You were made for it. It's actually inescapable. It actually puts texture to Augustine saying that every human soul has a God-shaped, God-sized hole in it. Paul would say, and it looks like justification. No one can live without justification. We must have it. If we don't, we experience an emotional death that is the deepest of all hopelessness, the deepest of all meaninglessness, the deepest of all unworthiness, the deepest of all bottoms of shame, the deepest of all self-hatred and condemnation and loneliness. Justification is not optional. So, intellectually grasping it, though, is fairly easy. We've seen it in four chapters. You and I can get our minds intellectually around the proposition of justification. I mean, we've said things like this so far. This should be in our vocabulary. We can kind of get it halfway right. If we're gonna, if right now, if I put you on the spot and walked out there and, and played Oprah and said, okay, what's justification? You know, most of us are going to get some decent, decent doctrinal concept of it or definition of it. We'd say something like, which we have, cosmic acceptance and affection. We'd say something like a legal, loving acceptance. We'd say something like, you have a validating performance record. We'd say something like, you are being treated or declared perfect, spotless, worthy, acceptable, righteous. And in Romans 4, remember last week we saw that unbelievable accounting term, you are conferred a new status because you didn't have it before of righteousness 
where God walks up to an evil, messed up, wicked person, you and me, and gives you righteousness. And you haven't changed a lick. That's incredible stuff. It's being evil and loved at the exact same time. It's being messed up and righteous at the exact same time. Incredible stuff, isn't it? That's an incredible deal. Now, it's fairly easy to come up with an intellectual understanding of that concept. Here's the catch, though. Getting the power of it is much harder. Getting the life change of justification, having that present power of justification released into your life is more elusive. Richard Lovelace, I mentioned him a while back, I can't remember, but I know I mentioned him, uh, is a foremost church historian and scholar on spiritual revival and spiritual renewal. In other words, this guy is like the premier dude, uh, which is pretty big today. Spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines, all that kind of stuff is pretty, it's pretty, it's in vogue in the church today. Well, he's a preeminent scholar up in Gordon Theological Seminary outside of Boston, and he has studied revivals in England and in America for years, and people go to him to talk about the dynamics of it and what what makes it go and what's the difference between revival and revivalism. How do you know a, a work of God actually exists? And he leans heavily on Edwards and other Puritans and Reformed writers. Well, he says this. He writes, It is therefore not surprising that many congregations which are full of regenerate, in other words, Christians, full of Christian people are nevertheless, nevertheless not very alive spiritually. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Why? You know what his number one reason is? He says, the reason that you and I are spiritually lethargic our marriages are lethargic. Our parenting is lethargic. Our way we interact with our job is lethargic. The way we go about our life is lethargic. The way we even try to handle pleasure and fun is lethargic. The way we go after ambition and success is lethargic. You know what he says? The number one reason? First, it's, it's not these things, which is surprising. It's not some of the things you tend to think. It's not because uh, there's an absence of abstinence. It's not because... We're missing some spiritual technique. It's not because we missed a secret on how to access the Holy Spirit. It's not because we're missing some spiritual gift or some spiritual sign. It's not because you're not spiritual disciplined and you're not devoted to personal holiness, he says. He says, you know what the number one reason is? We aren't warming ourselves, warming ourselves at the fire of justification. No one is burning at the fire of justification. He says, whenever people catch on fire, revival breaks out. Whenever people get too close to the flames of justification, a reformation erupts. Pentecost explodes. Awakenings and revivals take off. Personal lives change, marriages change, families change, the way we relate to jobs change, 
everything changes. It's easy to be an expert on the doctrine of justification. It's much harder to experience its power. It's easy to be a lawyer and argue the case for justification. It's harder to get into the witness stand and tell what you've seen and what you've heard. Romans 5 is divinely designed, and that's why I love this passage. It is divinely designed (laughs) to travel the longest distance on earth. The 12 inches from your head to your heart. So let's begin, shall we? The journey from the head to the heart starts with peace with God. Find verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. To be justified is to have a comprehensive peace, a complete peace. If an Old Testament person was here, they'd go and you get shalom in everything. If David was here, he'd say, peace with God is not lacking anything. It's I shall not want. It's you get made to lay down in green pastures. You are led beside still waters. You are always on right paths. You are restored and renewed and, and healing. It's a music that, that heals you. It's the way everything is supposed to be. It's where everything that's sad becomes unsad, untrue. Peace with God is healing everything that's broken between you and God, between you and you, between you and others, between you and your work and your talents and your gifts and your talents and your abilities, between you and your life. To experience peace with God, this is what's crucial. If you're going to experience peace with God, if I'm going to experience peace with God, this peace that's being talked about here, if we're going to experience it, we have to grasp something or we never will. What do we need to grasp? This. It comes from justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This means peace with God cannot be achieved. Peace with God can only be received. So don't miss this. The more you try to achieve peace, the less peace you will have. The more you try to achieve peace, the more unrest and turmoil and chaos and decreative forces will be in your life. The more you receive a peace already achieved by a Jesus justification the more you shall not want. The more you'll lie down in green pastures. The more you'll be still beside quiet waters. The more you become yourself. For example, let's say you wake up in the middle of the night. Anybody do that? You wake up and your mind starts racing. That always happens. You wake up and you're like, it's probably your racing mind that woke you up. You wake up. You try to go back to sleep, but you can't because your mind won't let you. (laughs) You lay there thinking and getting more anxious and more anxious, and you lay there with no peace. And then you start looking at the clock, and you start getting anxious about not sleeping. So now whatever you're thinking about, you start thinking about not sleeping, and you get pain 
piled on top of pain and no peace piled on top of no peace, right? Your mind races, your, your mind is restless, you're trying to work it all out in your mind and what we're doing is an old, ancient strategy of trying to work for peace. It's an old strategy, it's a popular strategy, we all do it. Because we act like we think we're God. We think that if I think it like God thinks it, when God thinks it, it happens. He thinks something and power's unleashed. I think I can control my world and I can control my life if I think it out and work it out in my mind. But we can't. We can't achieve peace. Peace can only be received. So let's start over. You wake up in the middle of the night, your mind starts racing, you try to go back to sleep, but you can't because your mind won't let you. You lay there growing more and more anxious, and you lay there with no peace. Now, now, fix your mind on a peace received, already achieved by a Jesus justification. Fix your mind on a peace received, not a peace achieved. You already have peace with God. If you're justified, you have peace with God. You're already loved. God is already for you. You're okay. You don't have to perform for peace anymore. You don't have to achieve your acceptance anymore with God, with yourself, with others, with whatever you're wrestling with, with whatever it is. You already have it. So you don't have to figure it out in your mind. You don't have to try to fix it in your mind. You don't have to try to control it and change it in your mind. Receive peace already achieved by Jesus. Unload your burdens on the burden bearer. You and I are not made to carry burdens. We can't. We can't carry our own burdens. It's impossible. You just can't. We try. That's why we get up in the middle of the night. Unload your burdens on the burden bearer and go back to sleep. The journey to the head, from the head to the heart, continues with warm friendship with God. Look at verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have also, right, obtained something else that's in this chain of events, access by faith into this grace in which we stand. To be justified is to have warm friendship with God. I mean, find that word access. This is an incredible word. In the original language, it means to bring near. It means to bring close. It means to press in. You see the picture here? Remember, remember we talked about forgiveness is you may go in peace. Justification is you may come close. I accept you. I welcome you. I embrace you. You have access. Warm friendship with God. 
Jesus brings us near, brings us close to God. And I want you to notice that we stand in this nearness. We stand in this closeness. We stand in this grace. Do you see that? That means we remain in it. You stand in it. You remain in it. You never leave it. Ever. Ever. So when, when your circumstances, your life spins out of control, God is close. God is near. God is with you. And this is irrespective of how you feel. Irrespective of what thoughts spin around in your head. Because did you see that word? It's grace that's the basis of this. Not your performance. Not your thinking. Not your feeling. Not your willing. Not your doing. Not your performance. God is with you by grace grace. So when your heart breaks, he's with you. When you're the loneliest person on the planet, you're really not alone. He is with you. And when you blow it, and that's when you think he's no longer with you, he's with you. It's by grace. The journey from the head to the heart continues with Verse two, do you see and we? Do you see that connection phrase, and we? So he's adding something else. And we, continuing his thought, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So you got, we have peace with God. We have warm friendship with God. When, you, when justification gets believed, when justification you start experiencing, when justification releases power in your life, you start experiencing peace with God. You start experiencing warm friendship with God and you start feeling deeply the wonder of God. And his work. You find that word rejoice and hope? That literally means to feel deeply. And it has a contour or a texture to it. To feel deeply in a joyful way. To feel deeply in a, an enjoyment kind of way. To feel deeply in a pleasurable kind of way. Feel deeply. And what? Feel deeply the glory of God. That's, just a, that's one of those big bucket words. That just tries to capture everything about who God is his worth and his work, his wonders, his words, everything about the reality of God is the glory of God. And his justification is unleashed and as it works in your life, you feel deeply the wonder of God. could say it this way. You intentionally build your life around God. You intentionally, self-consciously say, you know what? I'm going to build a life that's inescapable. I'm going to build a life around something. But because justification is becoming so real to me, I want, I long, I need to build my life around God and his work. Here's the logic of the passage. The more justification causes us to experience peace with God, warm friendship with God, the more and more you're going to feel deeply about God, his worth, and his work. That's the argument. The more deeply you're going to want to build your life around God. Build your life around the gospel. It's a gospel life, all right? Now, I want you to look, which I had to, late last night, I had to make an executive decision because it's really just me in my study making that executive decision. There was no other votes. It was an executive one, right? And it was, do I keep going? <laughs> and I heard, you know, I heard 
my wife Nancy saying, stop, stop. <laughs> I hear Ty saying, is it over yet, mommy? Is it over yet? So I am stopping, all right, here. And we will pick up the rest next week. But what I want you to do is look at, do you see the continuation of verse three? More than that, we rejoice. It's continuing what he just said. But now he's applying it in a specific place in a specific circumstance, in a specific area. Justification gives you a whole new way to look at and live through suffering. Pain. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing. So here's the deal. Do you want endurance in your life? I mean, when it's hard and there's no end in sight and you wonder if you can make it, not just to tomorrow, if you wonder if you can make it the next minute. Do you want that kind of endurance to endure? Paul says, get justification. Do you want tested character? Do you want to grow as a, as a human being? Do you want to, tested character literally means experience. Do you want to experience vital life and a true humanity the way you were meant to be? In other words, you want to be a godly person if I was to get religious terms on it? Paul says, get justification. Do you want shame to have no penetration in your life and in your relationships? No penetration, no seed sinking into your soul of shame. Get justification. Do you want hope? Get justification. Do you want to feel deeply the love of God for you? Get justification. It's not a rear view mirror gospel. It's your front windshield, brothers and sisters. That's why Paul wrote a whole book on it. On January 13th, 1982, in Washington, D.C., a Boeing 737, Flight 90 took off. Just seconds after takeoff, though, it never fully got off the ground. About a half a mile from the airport, it was crippled because of ice. It sliced into the 14th Street Bridge like a wrecking ball. Immediately destroyed seven cars, killed four people in those seven cars. The plane broke into a dozen pieces. When it hit the bridge, it just shattered into a dozen pieces, tumbled into the freezing Potomac River. 79 people on board, 74 instantly died, five survived. The five survived were floating in the Potomac clinging to the wreckage, screaming for help. Hundreds and thousands of people lined the bridges from spectators to emergency personnel to the riverbank, helpless to save them. One of those floating in the water is a guy named Joe Stiley, and he was a survivor, and this is what he said he was thinking. I thought, I survived an airplane crash, and I'm going to sit out here and freeze to death with 10,000 people watching me. Roger Olean saw the wreck, pulled his truck over, waded through the crowd of people down to the riverbank, and when he looked at it, he says, this is not a small plane. Where's the rest of it? Then he saw five people in the water, and they were crying for help, and he said it was like being in an auditorium because the screaming was bouncing off the ice, and it was as still as the night air and all you heard was screaming 
and screaming and screaming. Olean didn't stop to talk to the spectators. He didn't stop to take off his steel-toed boots. He didn't stop to take the five pounds of keys out of his pockets. He jumped in. When he was interviewed, why did you do that, Olean? You know what he said? They needed to know someone was trying to save them. They needed to see someone right now. I want you to look at the last phrase in verse one. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? 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 Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified. We have peace with God. We have warm friendship with God. We feel deeply the wonder of God because Jesus jumped in. And you know what you need and what I need? I don't need to be taught how to swim. I need to see someone save me. I need to see that someone right now.